Uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians this morning, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be uh, taking a couple weeks in between our series. We just finished a series out of the book of Hebrews. And uh, in the start of June, we will start a new series that we've entitled Help, God's Strategy for Those Who Are Struggling. And each week we'll be dealing with a particular issue and a particular struggle and how God's Word gives us the strategy uh, to overcome those things through His power and through his strength. And then in the fall, just to kind of give you a bird's eye view of where we're going, we'll be kicking off here at the end of August, a new series out of the Gospel of John, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, this word that became flesh and made his dwelling uh, among us. Uh, But today, I want to just be personal with you. Not that I'm not uh, each and every other week, but uh, this is a significant time for uh, my family and many families as we celebrate the graduation of one of our kids. Today, my oldest son, Noah, will graduate from high school, and it's a rite of passage for him and for us as a family where we take stock and ask the question, how are we doing at giving our time and attention to the priorities and the things of God? Those benchmarks, those milestones are important moments to ask the question and evaluate what we're doing with life. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of put you where I've been at and where I've been thinking, and and our passage this morning is going to help us, because if there was one piece of advice that I could give to our graduates, to my son on his graduation day, if there was a piece of advice that I could give you as a congregation, it's right in the text. And that is that we would make the most of the time God has given us. And so today, I want this message to be incredibly practical. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at all of what Scripture has to say about our use of time, and then I'm going to focus in on the passage I'm going to read here in a moment and glean just a couple truths from it, and hopefully we can begin to reorganize and, and maybe rethink the way that we're using our time for our own good and for the glory of God. And so let's look at, uh, I was going to say Hebrews, so old patterns are hard to die. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. And we're going to go through verse 17. Here's what the Apostle Paul told the church at Ephesus. Look, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Would you pause with me for a word of prayer? Father God, we come before you and we ask that we would make the most of this time. This time with your word opened in our hands or in our lap. Lord, that we would not allow the distractions of the day, the day's activities, maybe this week's activities, to get us thinking of other things. You want to speak to us today. You want to speak to us through your word. And so I ask, Lord, that we would receive it and that we would begin to evaluate how we're walking, that we would be known as wise people who make the best use of our time because the days are evil. So teach us, train us, equip us so that we may honor you in all that we say and do. We do so in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. 103 years ago, a law was passed that you celebrate each and every year. You may not know it, but the Calder Act 
in 1918 was a law that was passed and signed into uh, legislation by Woodrow Wilson, and it determined that on a Sunday in March, every clock in America would spring forward. And the reason why is that time or daylight was needing to be saved. It was being lost, and the government felt that there was a way to fix it. And in doing so, that would allow uh, for farmers and all those who worked outside to have that extra hour they were looking for. And so they planned. For over a year, they planned, and they set the date for a Sunday at 2 a.m. in March for that change, everybody's clock to move one hour ahead. Little did anybody think or recognize that it was going to be Easter Sunday. And so the plan went, and it was chaos. And the reason why the United States for one day was thrown into chaos was because everybody was an hour late getting to church. Oh, how we've changed as a society. It's not chaotic at all. It's the norm to be late for church, and we've got all the names of you who were late today. You can just blame the government, right? That's what we can do. But this law uh, was so despised by the people of the day that editorials and headlines in the papers on Monday morning read like this. The hour change would alter almanacs altogether. We could no longer depend on this faithful advisor, one said. Second said, Americans would no longer be able to enjoy the freshest air that is found early in the mornings because of the time change. Some of you are catching that. And then the third is my favorite. Grass would die because of an overexposure to the sun. There was such a big pushback that daylight savings time only lasted a handful of years. It would be reneged or reversed uh, just a couple years later. And what they did is they doubled down. They knew that time was a waste in, so they came up with this decision to let every county in the United States determine what time clock they wanted to go by. This created, the leave it to the government, right? This created a small problem, turning it into an enormous problem. Uh, to, for example, from Steubenville, Ohio to Moundsville, West Virginia, a 35-mile journey, you would encounter seven different time changes. Think about planning a meal. Think about planning an event. Think about working through an appointment. It would be very difficult. And so what the government did is they finally made a decision in 1966 to sign an act called uh, the uh, Universal or Uniform Time Act. And what it did is it put all of the world into 24 time zones, and that's what we live according to Today. Now, there is big movement, by the way. This is hot off the presses. Big movement in Congress right now to get rid of daylight savings time altogether. How many people like the daylight savings time? They like that springing forward. Okay, there's about three of you. How many hate it? Okay, how many don't care? Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Okay, time is a big deal. It's a big deal because of two important truths. Write these down. They're not a part of your notes, but two truths that I've come to realize. Number one, time is comprehensive. That is, whether we're young or old, rich or poor, whether we're part of a first world country or a third world country, no matter what we're experiencing, time is always the same for all of us. 
We have 365 days in a year. We have 12 months in a year. We have 24 hours in a day. We have 60 minutes in an hour. It's all the same. None of us get extra time. None of us get less time. We all have the same amount of time. Number two, and this, when you hit milestones and your pastor and and his family are hitting that today, when you hit milestones, you begin to recognize time is subtle. Where did the time go? 18 years ago, it seems like yesterday, I was just welcoming my firstborn into our family, and now we're sending him uh, now through high school and on to college. Where did the time go? Can you hear, can you feel the seconds of time passing? They're never going to be there again. Time comes and it goes. And so we need to recognize that as Christians, we have been given time. Like money, like our possessions, like life itself, God is the giver of time. And if God is the giver of time, then you and I are accountable to our creator, to our maker, for how we use that time. God is going to hold us accountable on whether or not we use the time for his glory and for his namesake. So we better get this thing down because we only get one shot at this thing called life. And so what I want to present to you is what I think is so vital to every element of our relationship with Jesus Christ because time touches all of it. So I want to look at three things this morning. The first two are going to come from all of Scripture. And then in the third point, I'm going to hone in on some of the truths that we see in our passage out of Ephesians. But let's look first of all that we need to recognize our time is a gift not to be taken for granted. Our time is a gift that is not to be taken for granted. There's an adage that says, some folks save time, others make time, most waste time, several kill time, but few are usually on time. Amen? For each of us, we need to recognize time is not a giver, Time never gives you more. If you are ever running late for something, you never, like the clock doesn't say, you know, we know you're having a bad day. We know you're running late for an appointment. I am going to give you a couple extra minutes that you needed when you're running late for school, when you're running late on a project. Why? Because time is always, 100% of the time, a taker. It takes away, it never gives back. Well, I shouldn't say that. In fact, there are two times where seemingly God gave time to an individual. The first one, King Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20, he sins greatly before the Lord. The punishment of that sin is God says, I'm going to take your life, your life, your time here on earth is over. King Hezekiah, being a righteous man, knowing he had done wrong, pleads and petitions God to give him a second chance, a second opportunity, and God relents and gives King Hezekiah not one extra day or 10, but 15 years to serve God, to enjoy God in the favor of being alive. The second event is uh, the story of Joshua in the promised land. The people of God are fighting against the enemies of God and, and they're winning in this battle. But the enemy isn't the guys that are firing weapons at them. 
It is the clock. It is the sun. The sun is about to set, and the battle for the day would be lost. And as a result of that, whatever forward momentum that the people of God had on that day would be gone, and the fortifications and the reinforcements would cause an even fiercer battle. And so Joshua goes before the Lord and pleads. He begs God to essentially stop time, and that's exactly what God does. At the end of the book of Joshua, we see that the sun stood still. Now, let's be honest. There are times and there are moments that we wish we could hit the pause button. Maybe not the pause button, but to slow the speed down. For me, today is one of those days. It's graduation day. It's a special moment. And just quite very personally with you, I wish I could slow it down because what graduation means is just in a few short months, Noah, who's been a big part of our family and life, will be off to college and life will never be the same again. And part of me gets frustrated that I wasn't wanting to slow down it because let's just face it, sometimes there are days in life we want to fast forward, right? We want to get beyond Some of you who are young parents right now and the kids have got you running like crazy and you're pulling your hair out, just like fast forward. And what I've heard and what I heard from many great people at this church is don't hit the fast forward button too often because these times are going to go faster than you think. And they are absolutely right. It moves quickly. In fact, the Bible says that This thing called life is here today and gone tomorrow. Job 14 says we were born yesterday and our lives on earth are but a shadow. The book of James says in James 4.14 that our lives are like a mist that hang around for just a little while and then they vanish away. Now, as people, time moves differently. It's all the same. It's comprehensive. But for our young people here, those that are teenagers and in school, time seems to go by like an eternity. And then when you're old and gray like your pastor, time seems to move very, very quickly. How is that? What, what's going on there? I want to illustrate that by, by having you visit with me your favorite amusement park and roller coaster. You've been there. The beginning of the ride, The ride is not a ride at all. It's patiently waiting, going through the turnstile and all of the different maze of places, waiting, wishing, and hoping, when is our time going to come? It seems to be going for an eternity. And then about 20 years of age, you get strapped into this thing called life, right? And it's still, it's it's fun. You're starting to really enjoy yourself, but it's still kind of slow and you kind of tick, 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 tick. You've been there before, right? And you're going. Then you hit about 30 years of age. That's why, by the way, Jesus took off at 33, because he knew what was coming. And about 30 years of age, the bottom drops out, right? You come over this crest, and then it is full speed. And it's full with dips and turns. And yes, loop-de-loops. And you don't know if you're coming or going. And you don't know at times to be screaming in ecstasy or utter terror. Can I get an amen? Those are the teenage years. All right? And you're struggling and you're white knuckling it. And you're like, oh my gosh, how much can I take of this? And before you know it, you're in your 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. And the ride comes to an end. And it was over before it really even 
started. Isn't that how life is? You look and like James says, it's a mist here and it's gone before you know it. And so if time is something that we can't take for granted, what in the world should we do with time? The Bible tells us that time is to be given away. It is to be given away. Well, where are we to give it? To whom is it to be given to? There are four areas that we need to give our time to. Number one, and most importantly, to the Lord. We are to give the Lord our time. Just as we are to give the first fruits of our tithes and offerings to the Lord, we are to give to the Lord the best of our time. We are to say to the Lord, since you are the giver of time, remember, God knit us together in our mother's womb, and in the book of Hebrews it says that we are appointed once to live and to die, and then comes judgment. God bookends the amount of time we've been given. Psalm 90 says that our days are numbered before they're even lived. God has defined how many days we have here on the earth. And if God has given us a lifetime of days, surely we should give some of those days back to him. And so we are to give that. Well, what does that look like? Do we dedicate particular days to the Lord? That's hard to do as we're living life and raising families and going to work. And so let me help you with what I do. And I learned this some years ago, and it's been incredibly helpful for me. And that is to pray a simple prayer each and every morning. It's not a big, deep theological prayer. And it's not something I don't want you to envision. I'm kneeling next to the side of my bed. But sometime in the beginning of my day, I say something like this. Lord, I have no idea what today is going to bring, but I want you there. I want you there. And so what I ask are two things, Lord. Lord, would you give me the eyes to see the opportunities you have? You have divinely appointed opportunities for me to serve you, for me to enjoy you, for me to reflect you. I want that. In word and deed, I want to receive uh, your grace and to give away your glory. And I don't want to miss any of those, whether with my family, whether they're with a friend, whether they are serving or whatever it is, Lord, whatever you want me to be, I want to be there. Number two, Lord, I don't know what today will bring, but I want you there. I want you to show me the opportunities of life. And number two, I want you to show me the obstacles that I'm heading into. The Bible talks about this, by the way. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Lord, show me the obstacles that could trip me up. Lord, I want to be ready for the temptations that come. I want to be prepared for the things that are good in my life that might distract me from running my race well, as we learned in the book of Hebrews. And so, Lord, I don't know what today is going to bring. The Bible says no man or woman knows what a day might bring. But I do know one thing. God, if there anybody's going to be there, I want you to be there because you're the only one who can point out the opportunities and you're the only one who can point out the obstacles that will keep me from running that race well. What this means is we have to give time and attention to our worship, to our private devotional life, to our fellowshipping with other believers. And so let me ask you this last week, how much time did you give to the Lord? 
I mean real time, giving him some real consistent time. Maybe it's in the morning, maybe it's at night, maybe it's on your drive to work. We don't have to do it all in the same way, but the Bible says we are to give back to the Lord, and time is one of the ways that he longs for us to spend with him. We have to give it to our Lord. Number two, to our loved ones. To our loved ones. The most important relationship of all earthly relationships is the relationship between a husband and wife. And so one of the places we should give the most time and attention to is to our spouses. So let me ask you this week, in the midst of running around, in the midst of all that's going on in life, in the midst of working, and many of you having both jobs at the same time, how much time did you carve out for your spouse to talk to interact, to relate, to romance, to all of that. How much time have you given to one another? If a week has gone by and you cannot look back and say, I had this time, this opportunity to engage with my spouse in conversation, in doing life together, then let me tell you something very quickly. Your priorities are all out of whack. This relationship is an important one and one that needs time and dedication. Now, the third thing, the, th- uh, the third God, loved ones, the third one that creeps up to the spouses is kids. So you're living, maybe you're in the chapter I'm in, and that is kids are busy, a lot of activities and a lot of things. Kids do never supplant the relationship between mom and dad. That's bedrock. That's the foundation. The family will go where the marriage goes. Don't ever give up on that. But what about kids? Kids need time. Got 18 years with them, okay? 18 years to spend with them, to enjoy them, to train them, and to uh, be involved in their life. Those 18 years come and go like a vapor. And what we do today is we say family time is literally chauffeuring our children from one activity to the other. And that's a new phenomenon, I might add. 25 years ago, it was uncommon to see this kind of movement, this kind of busyness in the life of families. I was talking with some peers of mine, and we were talking about that school practices were only an hour and a half after uh, school. Wednesdays, you had youth group or for our Catholic friends, CCD. Sundays were untouchable with regards to any activities. That was the Lord's Day. That was a family day that was untouchable for any activities. Most stores were closed. Most activities were not there. It was a time of rest for us as a society. That just isn't the case anymore. And whether or not that's right or wrong, or we should create these legalistic battles or not, are not it. But what the Bible seems to say about children is we are to train them. We are to spend time with them as we're coming, as we're going, as we're standing, as we're sitting, as we're walking on the road, as we're eating a meal in all facets of life. Now here's the problem. What we long for in our children amidst the society are altogether wrong things. How many of us as dads want to see our sons throw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball? How many of us as moms want to see our daughters sing the prettiest song in the choir? The problem is, is that our number one priority with the use of time is not to be spectators of watching our kids do things. 
Now, does that make it bad? No. But your number one priority as the spiritual disciples of your family is to prepare them for the judgment day. And so when you get to heaven, my, my God is not going to say to my three sons, well, uh, how, how were your basketball stats? How did you hit against left-handers? How did you do in the corner kick in the big game? God doesn't care about that. God's going to say, what did you do with my son Jesus? And my kids are going to look at me and say, what did you do? You didn't care about that. You only cared about how I performed. Brothers and sisters, the number one role you have is to equip your children for life and one day to meet their maker. Does that mean sports are bad? No, I have loved watching my kids play sports, but it is secondary to their relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to raise our kids well. Once we've given to the Lord and time to loved ones, as I'm running out of time, we give it to labor, to labor. Everybody go, ugh. You got to work tomorrow. God has given an allotment of time for you to work. Besides sleep, work is the single greatest focus of your time. It's not a part of the sinful fall that was there before in the Garden of Eden. Adam worked. He had a job. That job was to provide for himself and others, just as it is for us. It's an opportunity for us to be vital parts of the community around us. And number three, it is to give us a level of fulfillment. Does that mean all jobs are going to do that? No. But we should long for them to do that. And the way that we make good use of our time and our jobs is to bring glory to God as we do it. So we're on time when we're called to be at work or at school. We do the job that's assigned to us. We do it without belly aching, without grumbling. We do it not because we're just serving an earthly master or employer. We do it because we are serving a heavenly one. And so we long in all that we say and do to give glory to God, being a great outreach to a community of workers around us by being the best employees we can be. We give our time to our Lord, loved ones, to our labor, and finally, everybody say amen, our leisure. Okay? So finally, before you guys get rid of me, we need time to rest, to have fun. Now, we're reminded in the, go- in the gospel, in the book of Genesis, that God labored for six days. He created everything culminating with the creation of humanity. And after six days of work, on the seventh day, he took some time to rest. Now, right away we say, okay, God rested, therefore I'm all about naps and I'm about vacations. Well, let's just understand that God didn't rest because he was tired. God did not take a vacation. That rest, which is to serve as a model for our rest, had some things a part of it. Number one, When God rested, he reflected on what he had created. That is, he looked back and he evaluated. At the end of each day and at the end of the creation week, he evaluated. You know what he said? It was good. And then when he created you and I, he said it was very good. He reflected. Number two, he rejoiced. He rejoiced in the work of his hands. That is, he found joy in it. He saw what he created. I wonder when he carved out the Grand Canyon, he sat there and said, that (laughs) that's really awesome. Boy, I can't wait till the Johnson family gets in the family truckster and heads over to the Grand. They're going to love that. Just enjoyed what he had created. 
enjoyed what a father and son looking through a telescope at the stars and going, boy, I'm going to knock their socks off. This is awesome. And finally, he did it in preparation to how he was going to relate with his creation. Once he finished his work, he then pivoted to how does this work relate to who I've created, that is man and woman. Now, What that means is when we give time to our leisure, and we should have leisure, we should have vacation, we should have all of that, what is that created for? Go back to the seventh day of creation. Your day off, your vacation should be a time of rest because you, unlike God, need rest. But it all should be a time where you reflect And you give thanks to God for what he's done in the past. You rejoice in what God has done. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, God, for my job. Thank you for the opportunity to raise a family. And so it's a time of gratitude. And then it is to create opportunities for relationships to come out of it. Your vacation, your time off, your weekend, listen to me, should be different than the other days of the week so that you become a better follower of Jesus Christ, a better lover of your loved ones, and a better laborer for your employers. That's what time off should be. But let's just be honest. We need vacations from our vacations. Because we're going, we're going, we're going, and we're not having the opportunities to give special time and attention to the Lord and to one another. And so we need help with this. And so the Bible tells us that time is something that needs to be guided by God. It needs to be guided by God. This is what the text is drawing out for us. We've got to be careful. We've got to know that any use of time doesn't make it a good use of time. I want to give you a practical, a practical walk away step that you can take if you're struggling with this issue of time. Some years ago, I was invited to be a part of a small group of pastors through a group called Leadership Network. There were 12 of us from all over the United States and they had us come together and they gave us, us 12, four mentor pastors. And one of the mentor pastors that I had, his name was Bruce Miller. He was a guy about 20 years older than me. And he's a pastor in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And when I first met him, he had just finished writing a book about time. And being a bivocational pastor and being a busy pastor and father, I was like, maybe I should look into this. And began to tell me about it. And then I then after that read the book. And I will tell you, and I don't do a lot of endorsing of books, but I will endorse this book. It is a book you want to get your hands on, Your Life in Rhythm. And it is written from the perspective that the Bible speaks of time with two Greek words, chronos and kairos. Those two words speak of two different kinds of time. And his whole premise is, is that as Christians, we think that we need to balance our time and everything needs to hold. And he says, get rid of that idea of balance. What you need is rhythm. And he's right. 
And what he will walk you through is how these different aspects of time, and I don't have the time to talk through it, but very readable and practical. Get your hands on this book at any age because it's going to help you how to order your time in a way that I think will honor God and be of great good to you. But beyond that, the book of Ephesians tells us some things about time. Let's look at what it says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Because time is a gift that we can't take for granted, because time is to be given to other things besides ourselves, what does Paul tell the people of Ephesians? Be wise in how you use time. So how do we do that? Four things and we'll call it a day. Number one, we need to recognize that there are biblical steps to understanding time. The first one is, is we need to repent of any unwasted, of wasted time or opportunities. We've got some repenting to do. What do we need to repent? We waste time. Each of us are given, including myself, 168 days, 68 days, 68 hours in a week. If we spend eight hours a day in sleep, and I know some are going to be different than that, if we spend eight or nine hours at work, that means we're spending about a 100 hours sleeping, eating, and preparing and going to work. About a 100 hours. That leaves 68 hours for us to do other things. Now, I'm going to assume you need sleep like I do. I'm going to assume you have a job like I do. And so 100 hours is set aside, and that's the eating, sleeping, preparing, coming and going for school or work. 68 hours left, okay? 68 hours. That means there's about 8 hours, 7 hours a day that we have opportunity to do other things besides sleeping and working or getting ready for work. What are we doing with that time? Now, I could ask you, and you would lie, because I would lie and say, well, I do this and I do that. So we go to the survey companies and we ask the question, how are people using their time? And this is what they said. Notice on the screen. There it is. How we spend our time. Americans are using electronic media 11 plus hours a day. By the way, if you read into this study, that does not include hours within electronics for work or for school. That means we're not getting enough sleep or we're getting off early at work and we're spending time doing things. Notice this was 2014, so it's been a little time. By the way, it's only grown since COVID, skyrocketed. Five hours almost of watching television. Three hours with radio, hour and 25 minutes on our smartphone. By the way, the smartphone is growing exponentially um, in the newer studies, but this had the most pretty background, so we went with that one, okay? Hour and six minutes on a PC. Again, not work or school-related. 33 minutes on time-shifted TV. That's DVR TV or on-demand. That, that could be Netflix, which is, again, that's changing because we're not watching live TV anymore as much as we're watching uh, streaming television and, and uh, those programs on-demand. For the senior citizens, all those people playing those video games, I know, I know who you are. You're spending 13 minutes a, a day on that, nine minutes on Blu-ray DVD, seven minutes on multimedia devices, 11 
hours. What that means is as a society, we are spending every waking moment with a screen in front of us. Now you say, okay, Tim, I don't know who those people are, but they're not me. Cut it in half. Cut it in half. We're at five hours a day. Five hours a day with, with television, with screens. I would tell you, it's going to be really hard to relate to a couple people. Number one, it's going to be hard to relate to God if you're watching that much on devices. Number two, it's going to be hard for you to relate to your spouse or your children. And you've seen it. All of us have seen it. We go out to a restaurant and everybody around the table's doing this, right? You've seen it. And you're like, oh my gosh, how can they do that? I'm so glad. And you look at your table and you're all, okay? We got to repent of this. Christians, we need to be wise in how. Do I have a phone? Yes. Do I have a television? Yes. I'm not, I'm not making legalistic statements, but we have to be wise as you look back on your week. Let me ask you this. Did you binge on your device or did you binge on the one who made you from the dust of the earth? Did you binge on a TV show or did you binge uh, in relating to the people closest to you? Did you watch sitcoms instead of serving the Lord? We could go on and on. We need to be better with regards to our time. Number two, why? Because the days are evil. The days are evil. What it means there, and we got to be careful because we hear evil. We think Satan because the days are satanic. Oh, they're satanic. What people are watching on TV and all that. Really, what is being said is... <clears throat> Because the days around us, the culture around us, is counterintuitive. It goes against what God has planned. Are the days evil? Yes. But that's not exactly what the text is saying. What it's saying is, is this text is telling us that if we spend our time like the world spends our time, we'll be rendered foolish, not wise in the eyes of God. Let me say that again. If we spend our time as Christ followers, like the world spends its time, we will be rendered by God himself as fools, not wise. So no doubt there's things we need to be repenting of and thankful that when we repent, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So what do we do? We redeem the time. We redeem our time back to Christ. Notice what he says. We are to make the most of our time. My text says making the best use of time. The idea here in our modern vernacular is getting the most bang for your buck. And so, how do we do that? In essence, what the writer here, the Apostle Paul is saying is find coupons with regards to time. How many remember coupons? They're kind of a foregone thing in the past. We used to clip them out. Uh, my parents used to be couponers, all right? And you could save money. Your money would go farther with this coupon. And what the author is saying here is you need to let your time work for you instead of you for time, and that is to multitask in your process. Now, the women are saying, yes, finally, my men will finally in my house multitask. That's not what we're talking about, that you do laundry and the dishes all at the same time. Maybe you need to do that, but that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is when you're going about your time, your day, redeem it for the Lord. So when you go to work, 
You don't just serve your earthly master, you serve your heavenly master. When you go to the ball game, don't just go and be a spectator, be a relator to people, be an encourager, spend time with people, get to know them, interact with them, get beyond just the surface. This last week, we celebrated senior night for Noah's baseball team. And the group of parents, the senior parents who we've been with since preschool, we all went out for dinner. And I'm feeling this redemption of time and time slipping away. I said to myself, by the end of this conversation, I want to have steered this conversation in a personal and real way that we're not just talking about the weather, but we're talking about real struggles, real issues, and real things. And that's hard to do in a loud restaurant. And so I started asking questions, and I knew they could fall on deaf ears, or maybe, and I prayed, Lord, use it for something good. And by the end of the conversation, people were struggling to hold back tears because they were sharing hurts and pains and struggles, fears about their children and all of that. And we got out of the restaurant, and said, wow, for the first time, we were relating with them instead of just talking at a surface level. We need to redeem that time. People are looking for that. At one point in the conversation, we were sitting next to one of the biggest, burliest guys in the room, and he was near tears, talking about faults and struggles he had had and hurts and pains. And I was like, wow, what an incredible time. We redeem the time, and when we do, God will use it as a divine appointment for great things. Finally, we need to recognize that God has a plan. This week, look at your calendar and say, Lord, where are you in it? You have a plan. You've ordained my days. You've set out my steps. What do you have for me? I'm going to trust you with my time. Join me in the simple prayer of, Lord, I don't know what this week's going to bring, but I want you there. Because when you do, God's going to knock your socks off. He's going to show you opportunities you never saw before. And he's going to give you a heads up on the obstacles along the way. But in order to do that, we've got to give the Lord of the universe the sovereignty over our calendars. And when we do, it will be done for our good and, yes, for the glory of God. Amen? Get a hold of your time. And when you grab a hold of it, give it to the Lord and watch what he does with it.